Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Good Dog Pod, where we discuss all things related to canine health, research, and how Good Dog helps breeders run their breeding programs, and so much more. I'm Dr. Nate Ritter, the staff veterinarian here at Good Dog. I'm really excited to introduce the topic of today's podcast, the International Working Dog Breeding Association. I'm joined this week by Rachel Goldammer. Rachel is a consultant working with the International Working Dog Registry, specializing in reproduction, whelping, neonatal care, puppy socialization and development, and strategic planning. She has a degree in animal science with an emphasis on reproduction and over 15 years of experience within the canine care industry. She started her career at Nestle Purina before working for Southeastern Guide Dogs and then with organizations like Guide Dogs of America and Freedom Service Dogs. Rachel, welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I figure let's start with if you could tell us just a little bit of information about the International Working Dog Breeding Association, what the organization's mission is, etc. Yeah, so the International Working Dog Association, or IWDA, is here to provide tools, education materials, and training opportunities that promote the production and rearing of healthy, behaviorally appropriate dogs, ideally suited for performing their work. And when we talk about work, we mean everything from service dogs to guide dogs, detection dogs, military dogs, dogs that are used for sport like hunting, agility, and even confirmation is a sport. A dog is doing a job. So we are here to provide different resources for whatever type of work your dog is doing. Yeah, fantastic. And I think a really important point there, differentiating the different jobs that we have so many people that come to our platform or breeders as well that kind of lump that all together, service versus emotional support versus what have you. So I think very important to show that those are indeed different and they all serve different purposes. What are some of the main benefits you see your members enjoy by being with the IWDA? Yeah, our membership is very wide and varied. You just heard a very small section of all of those working dogs. So we have a variety of members coming from different backgrounds with either their private breeders, they are working for nonprofit service dog organizations or guide dog organizations. They're with military or Department of Defenses, police departments, search and rescue, TSA, all sorts of different backgrounds. So what's really unique about that membership is you can go to a variety of different people because all of the members have access to each other's basic information, like emails and job description, that kind of stuff. And if you are looking at supporting a dog or an organization in a certain career, you can find that member and start asking them, like, what do you need? i personally have two little corgis and one of them really likes to scent. So I reached out to some of the detection dog members to ask about nose work and how to get them started in it because it's something that my background does not have in it. So a really nice networking community. Our members also have access to over a hundred different conference past lectures and seminars. So you can hear people like 
Dr. Cynthia Otto talk about canine sports conditioning or Dr. Karen Overall when she first brought out her relaxation protocols, for example. So you have access to a ton of different educational resources, including, you don't even have to be a member for this, but we have a puppy socialization project on our knowledge base that you can access. And then on top of that, we have webinars that are going to come out this year in 2024. We are hosting a 10 to 12 webinar series that our members will have access to for free. And then different journals and newsletters as well that will have up-to-date research information, scientific, academic, and training information with them. So a lot of different areas for our members yeah, that's incredible. I think the networking is so interesting, you know, a common space for people to, like you said, whether it's work within their own space or if you don't have familiarity or a background to find someone that could help you. I think that's really interesting. And then, you know, like you talked about the lectures, journals, webinars, newsletters, conferences, all fantastic opportunities. Will those be also kind of catered specifically to certain groups or will they be more general? What are your guys' thoughts moving forward in the next year with the webinar series? So the webinar series is going to be kind of generalized. It's going to be done in about a four kind of part system. The first part is going to be based on health. So we will hopefully get speakers in to talk about things like fecal transplants to help microbiome health, head trimmers in puppies and how to support and make breeding decisions based off of that. We're hoping to have a puppy socialization and a puppy development part a quarter. And that will talk about how to set up a puppy socialization program, the difference between doing it in facility or at home, a behavior and training component. So that will talk about our free resource, the behavior checklist, and how to use that to make decisions about careers. And then also how to use that information to make breeding decisions and different training aspects where you are still kind of setting up some speakers. So I can't say exactly what that training side will have yet. And then an organizational traction unit, which I'm actually very excited about. I don't think sometimes people get into the idea of breeding or are in the midst of trying to make production planning, for example. So whether you have a colony of two females or a colony of 20 females, production planning is always so important. So we're going to have some experts talk about production planning, use volunteers, that kind of thing with organizational traction. So we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, it sounds exciting. A lot of different tops that you guys are focusing on, really helpful educational material. That's awesome. Speaking of such material, you've had a couple of conferences in Colorado, I believe in October, the International Working Dog Conference and the Breeders Workshop. First off, how did those go? And then can you tell us a little bit more about what was discussed? Yeah, those went really well. We were at the Colorado State University Veterinary Institute, and it was a lovely campus. The first one, the International Working Dog Conference, was three days. The first day was on health and welfare. The second day was on breeding and genetics. And the third day was based off of behavior and training. It went really well. We had speakers like Dr. Karen Overall, who spoke at health and welfare, and presented some of her research that she's currently doing on behavior and physiology of handling style during veterinary visits. So not only it was kind of like focused on that fear-free side of veterinary care. And not only did it focus on the benefits to the pet or the working dog, but also how the owner perceived the vet visit from there and how the owner was getting a more positive experience and was giving the veterinarians and their staff a better review because they felt like their animal was being well cared for, which was just really interesting research. 
because I've worked in the vet industry before. So I know how important that can be to have a good view of the people caring for your animals. We also heard from like Dr. Cynthia Otto, who did some really interesting information about field cooling for hyperthermia. So overheating in dogs and what to do if your dog is overheating and you do not have access to traditional veterinary care, which it seemed like dunking, getting the dog to dunk their head in a water bowl or cooling the head gave the best benefit which I live in Florida. So that was very interesting for me because it can be very hot in Florida. So a lot of great information coming out and like Dr. Cynthia's auto research, she did this summer. So she's kind of on that cutting edge. For the breeding and genetic side, we got to listen to Dr. Sophie Liu, who's doing the Doberman Diversity Project. And she talked about a citizen science approach to breed improvement, which was really interesting. So how they reached out to the breeders, to the Doberman dog owners themselves, to help get a better understanding of their effective population size, and then how to use that information to make improvements within the breed. It was a very, very interesting and I am just really impressed with that Doberman community and how they came together for that. And then on the behavior and training side of things, we got to listen to some really cool stuff happening at different military options and bases and how they are leaning towards a more operative conditioning R plus type training and what that difference they're seeing, which I thought was really interesting to see and how they are using things like teaching collar yielding as a foundation behavior. So instead of giving large corrections to dogs, teaching the dog to respond to a little bit of collar pressure. So if the dog is in an environment where they can't get a command, they can't make noise, a little bit of collar pressure and the dog will follow versus trying to force a dog into something, which again, coming from service dogs and that R plus culture, it was really fascinating to see then how that's being used in a different type of working career. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you guys had both of those and glad to hear they went well. A lot of interesting information was discussed. That's great. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Is maintaining your breeding program's website becoming costly and difficult to manage? Good Dog has the solution. Good Dog provides members of our Good Breeder community with free, professionally designed profiles powered by design support from our professional graphic designers and 24-7 technical support from our team of cybersecurity experts and software engineers. Using your Good Breeder profile, you can post available, expected, or planned letters to connect with Good Dog applicants, display the health testing you perform on your breeding dogs, share your transport options, and securely accept dog payments and more. Good breeders are always in control of and free to edit their profiles, and our team of experts is always on hand to help good breeders tailor their profiles to their liking. We work hard to send you quality applicants because we believe good breeders deserve the best homes for their dogs. We invest in online marketing campaigns and search engine optimization strategies to help bring you educated good dog applicants from across the country so you don't have to worry about it. We're here to empower good breeders with the power of technology while providing our community with 24-7 tech and design support to help good breeders create profiles that highlight each of their breeding programs and show interested buyers just how amazing your dogs truly are. Make your programs costly and difficult to maintain website a thing of the past by applying to join our good breeder community at gooddog.com join. 
Switching gears a little bit, can you tell us about the International Working Dog Registry? Yeah. So the Working Dog Registry is a database that the IDDA runs. It is an online registry where dog owners can add, edit, and review electronically stored records in their dogs. Our mission is to provide data-driven genetic selection tools for informed dog breeders. And so within this database, there's tools like managing heat cycles, being able to put in whelping information, put in breeding information, do test litters of inbreeding through pedigrees, manage all of your genetic testing. And then based on the litters that are produced, it will tell you like clear by parentage or carrier by parentage or like unknown. So you should do testing on this litter. And most importantly, it has the ability to run estimated breeding values, which is a great genetic selection tool to make improvements quickly in different areas like hip dysplasia or skin issues or even behavioral issues like arousal or inhibition. So it's a really great database that is available for not only working dog organizations, but also clubs, private breeders, that kind of thing, where you can put your data in and get some really nice usable features back to help you make nice genetic selection pressure and breeding decisions. Yeah, obviously really important to make that easier for groups or individuals. That's fantastic. Any interesting insights from this data thus far? Anything that you can speak to, whether it be you know big picture or a specific example? Yeah, I actually presented at the International Working Dog Conference two different examples with two different kinds of working dog schools. One was a guide dog school and another was a service dog school. At the guide dog school, they had a population that they had been managing since 1948. So it was very well established and they had done a lot of work. And at the time, all of their information was either on paper or in Excel files. And we moved all of that dog data over to the International Working Dog Registry. And within one year, we were able to breed 40 less puppies and improve our graduation percent by 20%. So we bred less dogs and were able to graduate more. Additionally, just by using an estimated breeding value. So I should state this school was doing everything right. They were doing OFAs for their hips. They were doing pin hip. They were selecting what they thought was the best genetically available breeder at a time. And they're still releasing about 8% of their population for hip and elbow issues. By using estimated breeding values, within one year, we dropped that down to 3%. And within five years, they're right at like 1.9%. So that is kind of the difference between using selection pressure based just on a test versus using that estimated breeding value. And basically all of that animal's relatives go into that calculation. So their siblings, their cousins, their aunts, their uncles, everybody. And we could then start selecting somewhat of a slightly genetically superior dog for hips which was very exciting. And we did that very, very quickly. The other school, they just started a breeding colony three years ago. And within three years, using estimated breeding values, they went from about a 9% success rate using shelter dogs and private breeding dogs. They started their own purpose breeding colony, started really selecting for the temperament they needed, and only at 42% success rate. So that is kind of what that data-driven selection process can do for you. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And like you said, so quickly too, I had in veterinary school during my fourth year, I had an internship at the Seeing Eye and seeing how seriously they take their breeding stock, but they have the benefit of having that established lines. And so to your point with this most recent program, something trying to start a little bit newer, very helpful to have all these tools at their disposal. And just, I mean, obviously it speaks to the improvements that you're able to make in such quick time. It's fantastic. It's very, very exciting. Yes, it definitely is. Outside of the registry, what are some recent research findings the IWDA has been working on? So IWDA, they are currently working with Dr. Francis Chin, who is working in kind of collaboration with Noah's Ark about cancers and golden retrievers. So we're hoping to bring our members and massive history of data and collection into that research project so we can help hopefully maybe find something genomically, like a genomic genetic connection to that. We're also working with the behavior checklist and getting that a bit more validated. We currently just started the IAABC International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants and have a certification now online that you can take to become a BCL certified scorer. And we're really excited about the potential of being able to bring a common language to people when they talk about dog behavior, because like my severe arousal definition might be different than yours. But if we both talk about it the same way, we can make better So we're really excited about where the future can lead us with the partners we have and the members we have. Yeah, amazing. And then speaking to those partners, if you could talk to just a little bit, what are some of the organizations you've been working with? I know you've mentioned some already. I mean, how has working with those organizations been for you all? Yeah, so we work a lot. Kind of our founding members at the association was military and guided service dogs. So we have several different groups throughout the world. It is international where one of the speakers, for example, was a veterinarian at this last conference who was working with police dogs in Australia. So multiple different members that share their information and their knowledge and help us give better education give us the opportunity to get that information out there quicker. It's been really great to see the collaboration that everybody has, especially with the different types of working dogs. Sometimes it might seem like everything's a bit siloed, but the more you can talk to like detection dogs with like a service dog, you might initially think, oh, there's not that much in common. But at the core, what you're trying to do is breed a dog that's most suitable for that job and the basics of that, like selection pressure and that kind of thing, understanding behavior is the same across the board. So it's really nice to be able to bring all of that together and get people talking. Yeah, absolutely. Knowledge is power. I know I spoke previously to, you know, how those are different, but to your point, there are certainly similarities and can learn from that. And the more information we have relating to that, the better. So I can't thank you enough. I've been so impressed by what you all do you met with us previously and kind of gave us a look behind the curtain. And so I was so excited to have you all on for the podcast. But that is all we have for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this week's episode. We'd also like to thank Rachel and the International Working Dog Association for your time and willingness to educate our community. We hope this information was helpful for everyone. We appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you back here for our next episode. Thank you for listening to the Good Dog Pod. 
We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to The Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform. 